Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Joining me is the Offensive Coordinator at Kent State University, Andrew Sauter. Coach, great to have you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Keith. Been a long-time listener. Really enjoy the podcast, especially when I'm out on the road recruiting. Uh, great way to pass while driving. So, really honored to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you listening and obviously taking the time. And I know for you right now, you know, I'm, I'm in Northeast Ohio as well, but you're in Austin, Texas in Things have been pretty much shut down. I guess, you know, before we get into some of the things we typically do, what's your approach been to how to handle this time? Yeah, like like you said, I am in Austin. We decided to shut things down just like everyone else. And uh, Coach Lewis, our head coach, just decided to, you know, kind of send coaches back to, to our to our home, back to our loved ones. And, you know, a lot of uncertainty right now on, when we're going to be able to get back, but we did talk a lot about what we can do while we're gone from a film study standpoint to recruiting, to making sure our, our current student athletes are on top of their business, whether it be academics or working out or staying healthy. So we, we've still got a lot of work to do, even though we're not in the office right now. Yeah. I just had Justin Lustig on, who's the receivers coach, assistant head coach at Syracuse. And he said, this might be, the most scrutinized recruiting class ever. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. You know, with the calendar moving, spring recruiting from April 15th to May 31st is a huge time for us as college football coaches. We That's when we go out to the high schools and talk to coaches in person, grab transcripts, see guys work out. And that's, that's always been such a, a huge period in the evaluation process. So it'll be very interesting to see how schools kind of get around not having that this year you know we're we're not really sure what's going to happen with the calendar we 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 think they could possibly push it up and and make summer more open but right now you know not really sure so we got to be creative and and how we recruit we've got to be very diligent and disciplined with making a lot of calls right now to high school coaches and to these athletes and uh find out as much information as we possibly can right now Well, Coach, let's dig into your background a little bit here. And you're in Austin right now. You did grow up in Texas, shallow water Texas, played at Baylor. At some point along the way, uh, you were inspired to be a football coach. So what was it that made you say, this is what I want to do as a career? 
Yeah, I'm, I am originally from a little town called Shallowwater, Texas, right outside Lubbock, out in West Texas, and just knew from an early age that I wanted to be around football. Grew up, you know, and, and having really good high school football coaches and in a, in a high level of, of high school football. And when I was in high school, and, and really even before high school, is when Mike Leach was at Texas Tech and doing his thing and had a lot of success. And, and to be growing up in a, in a small town but have a Big 12 football team right in the backyard, I just fell in love with going to the Big 12 football games and wasn't necessarily a, a Texas Tech fan, but more just a football fan. And going to see all these big-time teams come through Lubbock, just fell in love with with the game and fell in love with college football and just really wanted to play football in the big 12. And after high school, got the opportunity to walk on at Baylor and it was a great experience for me. I, I, I learned a ton of football. We built that thing up and went from being one of the worst power five teams in the country when I got there to going to a bowl game my senior year. And I walked on for two years and then my junior and senior year, I became a student coach. So kind of transitioned from playing to coaching. And that ended up being probably the best thing I ever did. And I got really lucky because the receiver coach at Baylor at the time was Dino Baber. So got to be Coach Baber's assistant for two years there. And that kind of set my career off. And by the time I got to kind of late college, I really knew for sure that I wanted to be a college football coach with working with him and, and working with the, the Baylor staff and building that thing up and, you know, seeing the, the positive impact that, you know, college football can have on, on a community and, and a fan base. So after college, I ended up taking a job at West Texas A&M, really good division two uh, program out in West Texas. Don Carthel was the head coach and it was a great opportunity for me because it was close to home. My family could come to the games and, just learned a, a ton of football from Coach Carthel and that staff and, and had a good year. And then after that, Coach Babers got the Eastern Illinois head job and brought me up there to coach wide receivers. Um, I coached the outside receivers, and Sean Lewis, our current head coach at Kent State, coached the, coached the inside receivers and tight end. So that was an unbelievable experience. We had two great years there. We had an unbelievable coaching staff. If, if you go back and look at that staff, there's guys that are all over the country and Power five schools and NFL and just really enjoyed our experience there. Um, from there, went to Bowling Green for two years and kind of kept Bowling Green rolling after Dave Clawson left and won the, won the MAC in 2015. And then I, after that, I went down to Texas, University of Texas, and was a QC there for a year. That was a great experience. And then from there, I got a, a big break and Got my first coordinator job at San Jose State with Brent Brennan. Uh, kind of took a chance on a, on a young guy to, to call the offense and went out there. And, you know, we kind of laid the foundation for what, what they're turning into to turning that thing around and, and rebuilding that place. And, you know, they've got that thing on, on track right now to have success. Was there for a year. And then, and then Sean Lewis got the Kent State head job. And I just I couldn't say no to him. We've been together for a long time. And. Uh, have a really good relationship, both professionally and, and and a good friendship. So couldn't turn him down and came out to Kent State to be the offense coordinator for him and just finished our second year and things have been going really well. You know, made won a bowl game this year, but still got a long way to go there and still got a lot of work to do. So that's kind of the, the short version of my career so far. 
And, and when you listen to it or even read your bio, it's like, wow, this guy had a really smooth path. But I think, you know, with anything, if you're going to grow, you're going to develop in the profession, there's going to be challenges along the way. What things did you face and, and what did you learn that really helped you become a better coach? Yeah, there's there's definitely been a lot of challenges along the way. But I, I think you hear this a lot in coaching. You're never really prepared for the job and, until you actually get it. And definitely learn that as a coordinator, for sure. Just going in and, and learning how to to manage a staff and how to put in an entire offense and how to put together a game plan and, and call plays. You know, you, you I had been a big part of that at, at other schools, but until you're you're the guy that's that's doing and making the calls and and taking a ton of suggestions and you know it's something you, you can't really prepare for, but. I learned a ton that first year and, and I continue to learn throughout the years. And, and the, the good thing right now with our setup at Kent state is just, I'm able to lean on Sean Lewis, who is, is an excellent quarterback coach is, is an excellent offensive coordinator has been calling plays at a high level for a long time. So still learning every day from him. And, you know, I think no matter what level you're at or where you're at or what your title is, I think you can always just learn different things and, and, always grow and football is always evolving and changing and it's important to, to know that, that 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 there's always something else out there that you can learn and get better at we've had coach lewis on the podcast before in our home team series and for our new listeners out there i highly recommend listening to that series it's one that is focused on really the the work-life balance part of this and how do you keep you know the family a priority and, and coaches had some great interviews with guys like Jim Leonard at Wisconsin, Garrett 2J at uh, offensive line coach at Virginia. And, and one of my favorite actually was with coach Lewis. And he talked about, you know, his approach to this and, you know, keeping that family a priority and, you know, even sticking out, I can remember like, geez, when I was, you know, recruiting even at the division three level, that cell phone was on all the time and I was on all the time, but, you know, setting it aside and doing those kinds of things. So, you know, from that regard, what, what things have you been able to learn from coaches approach and being able to keep things in perspective? Yeah. Coach Lewis does an excellent job managing that stuff and having a balance in his life. And, and he does it for us as well. Really good guy to work for. We do work really hard, but I feel like we're very efficient in, in what we do. We don't waste a whole lot of time. I, I don't have kids yet, but Coach Lewis just had his second kid, so he understands the importance of going home and spending time with his family. And like I said, he expects the same out of out of the staff to to have that balance and to go home and spend time with our kids. And he's very good about. You know, the office is very open to have kids. There's kind of always kids running around. We have a family night every Monday night where all the families come in and have dinner up at the at the offices. So he does a lot of different things to to have that balance. And I think whenever you have that, you, you're a better football coach. I think you're more energized. You have a little bit more purpose for coming to work every day. And I think you have more incentive to be efficient and get that work done so you can have that time to go home and spend time with your wife and kids. The other thing that I really took away and remember from that episode with Coach was really kind of the mantra, you know, you guys have at Kent State football, be the alpha, and his explanation of really where that came from. And I think, if I remember right, it was it was something he thought started thinking about while he was training his own dog, but went back to 
the idea of a wolf and how when a wolf pup is born, you know, the main thing for it is becoming a leader, becoming the pack leader and striving towards that goal of being a pack leader every day with focus on with that focus on the end. And that's really, I guess, kind of the thing that sets the foundation, even the culture for Golden Flash football. Talk to us a little bit about being a coach within that and being able to to go out and have that kind of focus as far as what coaches put in place. Yeah, the way we define be the alpha, and, and we use it a lot. We, we talk about it with our kids a lot. We put it on some T-shirts and put it on the wall and things like that. We constantly preach it, and it is one of our mantras. And the way we define it is constantly improving, constantly improving your best, and performing when the family needs you. You know, I, I think – we can all improve and get better day in and day out, which is, which is a huge part of it. But, but when your time is called and when, when you've got to do your job, you have to perform for the family. And so we talk about that a lot of, with the players, you know, we, we practice it daily and, and I think our players have really adopted it and, and taken it to heart. And it's just, again, it's just about taking care of your own business and, and you individually doing your part, getting better and when we all individually do that the the team and the group is going to be a lot better we have a question from eric held one of our listeners who said you know going from year one to year two under coach lewis how were you able to reverse the trend of five close losses to a bowl berth and a win well there were there were two areas specifically that we knew we needed to change on the field and one of them was penalties we were like second to last in the country, I believe, in penalties and yardage our first year. And we put a big emphasis on that year, too. I think the ways you do that is to just put the players in as many game-like situations as possible to actually call penalties in practice. I know it's really hard to get refs at practice a lot because you have to pay money for those guys. But we'll get refs out to practice as much as possible. But other than that, just really put an emphasis on it and practicing – like it's a game and we cut those down drastically. I believe we're in the top 30 in the country and, and penalties this year. And then the second one is taking care of the football. We do a turnover circuit every day, offensively and defensively, as far as protecting the football and taking the football away. One area that we just got dramatically better at, at taking care of the football is, is the way our quarterback, Dustin Crum played. He, he only threw two interceptions the entire season. And that was a big part of our success too, is just, the, the development of quarterback and, and Coach Lewis is developing of Dustin Crum and him taking care of the football. And we were just extremely efficient when we threw the ball of, of being very smart with how he threw the ball. And that's a testament to him. So, again, really emphasize taking care of the football and not just ball security, but the choices we make in the pass game. And so did a good job of that year two. And then just Daily stacking practices. I, I really believe in our practice culture. I really believe in the way we structure it. We go really, really hard for about an hour and a half to two hours, and our guys get in great shape. They run a ton of plays, and it's we 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 make we make practice harder than playing the game. So I, I think it's a lot of factors, but those are three areas on the field where we really focused. What's interesting, you're talking about the you know decreasing the penalties. And we did a an episode on this. I want to say it was back during this season. I did it with one of our teammates here at USA Football, Andy Ryland. And the whole focus was, how do we train away penalties? And so, you know, the first thought you hear when you say train away penalties is, well, you know, the typical get on the line or get them chopping. And, you know, 
I confirmed this later in talking to a group of kids, but the the whole concept that he and I talked about was, you know, you usually get a penalty because, well, two things. You hadn't practiced it enough, which you emphasized there, and getting the refs on the field, right? So now those things are being seen and called out. The other thing is you don't have a real good understanding how to recover from some kind of bad body position, whether that's your hand placement or you're starting to lose the block and how to recover and finish. And, you know, the the whole thing was like sometimes you got to start in those positions where you're losing it to show them how to move this foot or adjust this hand to recover, right? A whole bunch of recovery techniques. So I think... So if you don't have the refs, that that's a tough one. And at the high school level, even even a lot of the college levels, you don't have them. But you know what confirmed for me in talking to a group of, of players was I, I presented to them that same way. I said, well, you know, what what do your coaches do to get you to stop penalties? And you know, it was it was the up downs, it was the sprints, whatever. How's that work for you? We still end up with penalties <laughs> because you're not repping the things that were causing the penalties, right? Was it they were jumping off sides? Well, how much do you have? Make sure you have. You know, your scout team, as an example, go on too. So I think you have to be creative with that approach and, and look at the different ways you can do it. And I, I think you'd probably agree with me. I mean, there's some things that, yeah, we might have to get on the line for that for some reason. But for the most part, it's trying to figure out why and what can we do to train it. I totally agree. I think hand placement is, is a huge part of that. We, we practice on hand placement all the time. We do a drill every day where it's one-on-one and – typically offense versus defense and it's all about hand placement who can get their hands inside first who can be quicker with their hands and I think that's a big part of it I think just teaching blocking as far as in addition to and in addition to the hand placement is bringing your feet with you not you know you've got your hands in a good position but then your feet start trailing and they're slow and then and now you're in a bad position so I think feet and hands are huge and then just understanding that we are going to have some hustle penalties. We want our guys to play hard. You know, there may be a late hit here and there. There may be, you know, an unintended face mask call here or there. And we're going to be okay with that. But if we just put a, an emphasis on it as a whole, hey, we've got to, we've really, really got to cut down on this. And we start emphasizing it in practice, like I said. You know, there, you get what you emphasize, whether it's ball security, penalties. And again, just taking care of the football in the pass game. And those are just things that we really emphasized going in from, from year one to year two. Absolutely. And got one more question from Coach Held here. But I had a question for you as I'm looking at, you know, your title. You are also the quarterbacks and tight ends coach. And, and my question was, you know, and I'm sure you have some assistants and GAs that help you. But, you know, being in charge of those two positions – you know, there's a lot of responsibility. So you, how do you handle that? And I guess, what's the setup? Are you meeting together? Uh, you know, what, what does it look like from a practice perspective, et cetera? Well, I've, I have moved around a little bit with some different positions. The way we currently have it set up is I'm coaching the inside receivers and Sean, our head coach has the quarterbacks. So they're, they're meeting with coach Lewis. I mean, with the, the inside receivers and you know, the, the thing is we've just, not only with, with Coach Lewis and myself, but our whole staff has, has got to be on the same page with exactly what's being told from a scheme standpoint, from a technique standpoint. So we're all speaking the same exact language. And I feel like we do a really good job of that. So we're all meeting separately, but we have a 15-minute walkthrough before every practice. And that's where we really iron out all the details. Okay, this is all the new installer. This is all the plays we need to, to work on. 
And if there are any issues that have, have been left behind up until that point, we get those corrected in that walkthrough. So again, I think it's really important that everyone's speaking the same language. We're really fortunate that we've had some good staff continuity and that we've had some guys that have been a part of this system for seven or eight years. So we're, we're really fortunate in that way. There isn't a whole lot of coaching the coaches as far as a scheme standpoint, especially us going into year three. So we're, we're really fortunate from that end. But I mean, I, I think, you know, the way, the way it's set up right now, I really like how we manage the meetings, how, how coach Lewis and I are on the same page as far as what we want to get called during practice, what, what the install is looking like, what the call sheet's looking like. And, um, it may be unique to us, but we enjoy how we do it. So Coach Held is impressed with your screen game, and his question was about the, the collaboration on it. So how many coaches pitch in to come up with the game plan on screens and, and what kind of research, I guess, is being done by your analysts or GAs? Well, I, I think everybody's got a hand in our screen game. We we split up our game planning duties more by situation. So we, we've got a coach that does kind of normal down and distance. We've got a coach that does third downs. We've got a coach that does red zone, much like everyone else does. And so within those situations, each coach can implement screens that they like within those situations. We've got a pretty big menu of the screens that we have the opportunity to call. I think it's really important to be very versatile with screens as far as who it's going to. We've got a you know running back screens, receiver screens, tight end screens. So we've got we're pretty diverse in what we can actually get called. The other thing that I think is really important with screens, you know, I think we, along with most people, I think would say is that we really like them on third down. You know, it's a chance to maybe on third and third and long or third and extra long when a team is is back in coverage to to screen underneath all that coverage and and run long. It's also really good on blitz downs, you know, so if you feel like you've got a, a blitz tendency coming from, from a team, I think it's, we always like screens versus blitzes, but another area where I think you've got to be diverse in the screen game is to not just call them on third down. Um, I think a lot of people may have that tendency, but I think if you can come out and start a drive with one, you know, that's something that can be very advantageous. The, the thing you got to think about is what allows a screen to be successful and to us, it's, it's usually a blitz or just a really good pass rush. So we want to get those, the D-line upfield. We want to get the blitzers upfield and throw behind those guys. Another good thing, again, is, is a heavy, heavy pass situation where you're only going to get a three- or four-man rush, but you've got a lot of guys in coverage. You want to get those guys up the field pass rushing and then throw the screens underneath that coverage and get blocks downfield. And then if you're, if you're throwing it to a guy that's skilled, he can make some guys miss in space. So I guess to boil it down, we, we've got a lot of different screens we can run, and we've got a lot of different situations we can run them in. Yeah, I always looked at them, and I agree with you 100%. It's, it's, I can't tell you how many high school games I've been to, and those guys on the sideline, they're right. They're calling them out. You know, watch the screen. Like, they, they almost hit it every single time. Now, they might be calling that out on every pass down because that's the obvious situation, but – I always looked at them, too, as an opportunity to utilize those as tendency breakers, right? Whether that might be, you know, a, a screen off of a, a play action or a screen off of a run look or something like that, which, I mean, if you watch some of these teams in the NFL, they're unbelievable with them. But, you know, I think that's a good opportunity, too, is what tendency do we develop 
and you know what what are we done what are the looks and what can we do to get the flow we need maybe or the rush with a screen away from it yeah i totally agree and it's it's also i feel like if, if you're playing a team that's got superior pass rushers i think it's just a way for to slow those guys down because it's, it's just one more thing they've got to think about so our next set of questions come from Mitchell Shepard. He is the offensive coordinator, offensive line, and defensive line coach at Marysville High School in Kansas. And he wanted to know how you game plan for the red zone area inside the 10 and goal line. What are you looking for to attack? Well, that's actually an area that we were spending a lot of time studying right now because we don't feel like we were great at it last year. So we are we are also currently finding answers for that. But I think the main thing, we're, we're a team that takes a lot of deep shots and you've got to figure out where that stops, you know, whether it's the 18 yard line or the 25 or whatever it may be. I think, I think that's, I think it depends on your quarterback. I think it depends a little bit on your receivers, but wh- where does that end where we cannot any, no longer throw a vertical? Um, so I think that's, I think that's part of it. Okay. We've gotten to that certain yard line. These are out of these are out of the call sheet. So what what can we go to now? So, you know, I think certain you know quick game is good. I think you can still run screens down there. Um, obviously, you know any of the run game that you like, but you just got to understand that the, the the secondary, the safeties, the coverage is going to tighten up a little bit. You know, obviously as you get down closer to the end zone. But the main thing when we get down towards the the goal line or, to, or towards the end zone from a pass game perspective is we want to attack different areas of the end zone, whether it be the front or the back or the pylons. Those are different areas we want to attack. Now, one thing we're seeing in the college game is a lot of teams are starting to get away from that cover, what we call cover seven, which is the seven DBs kind of across the goal line. That was really hot for, you know, five, six years. And I think offenses did a really good job of attacking that and getting behind it in the end zone. Um, some, a lot of teams are starting to kind of play a little bit deeper in the end zone. And, and a lot of teams are putting two high safeties kind of in the back of the end zone to combat the, the back, you know, a couple yards back there. So I think it's changed a little bit, definitely in the last year or two in the college game. I think you've got to start thinking about personnel down there in a big way. I think obviously big bodies help, whether you got a big receiver, some big tight ends, getting those guys the ball where they can just body up people and go attack it. But, you know, as far as our game planning down there, from a run game, it's not really going to change a whole lot. From a pass game, it may change a little bit. We just know we're not going to be able to throw a ton of deep balls. And then the other thing is just how many big bodies do you have on your offense from an offensive line standpoint, a tight end and fullback standpoint to where you can get into some big sets down there. Um, Sometimes you may not have that personnel and sometimes you've got a lot of it. And I think it's important to have some sort of heavy package, not only for the goal line and short yardage, or not only for the goal line, but for your third and short, fourth and short and the open field. So I think just being creative with, with some of the personnel you have, you know, if you've got big kind of wildcat quarterback guy, I mean, that stuff's always good down there to have plus one runs, but it's largely based on your personnel and what you've got and, you know, how many big bodies you've got, not only from a run standpoint, but standpoint, but from a pass standpoint as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and the, the vertical space that diminishes, yeah, that's a huge part that I think, it, no matter what level you're at, that's what you need to start to think about. I know 
you know, what we would do is, is basically we had a package of plays in the, in the range of two to four, a little bit less as it got closer that we knew, you know, on the right rhythm, those things could still hit to get the ball into the end zone. And so we'd carry those and dress them up in our game plan. We actually carried them all year long. But the, the rest, it was some of those other things you talked about. I mean, Wildcat was a big thing for us, you know, once we got into four down territory and being able to use that extra guy, you know, certainly play action as you get down to the goal line, the, 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 the seven across, right. You know, being able to attack that pick, pick the guy you want and get somebody underneath and then get somebody, you know, back over the top on the end line, all sound things. But yeah, it seems like the, the things we have to confront more and more of these defenses getting creative is, is some of the variation that they're giving us as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as offenses evolve, defenses are evolving very rapidly as well. So the next question, he goes a little bit to your receiver part of this. So what techniques do you emphasize with perimeter blocking? Well, we spend a lot of time on it. I think, again, like anything, I think if you put an emphasis on it and work on it, it's going to continue to improve. Much like what we talked about with the penalties earlier, I think hand placement is such a huge part of it. Making sure our hands are inside with our thumbs up and got a good grab, a good grip on the defender. And if that guy starts to move, we've got to we got to bring our feet with us. Exactly what we were talking about earlier with not getting caught in a compromised position and making it look like a holding penalty. We've got to bring our feet so we're constantly in a great blocking position. But I think it starts with the feet and having a great base and not having even feet. You know, we say even feet get you beat, so we want staggered feet taking a power step to that defender, shooting our hands, and going to work. I think it's a it's a mindset more than anything, but there is a lot of technique that goes along with it. But it's just teaching a base, teaching the feet that we want to the, – the steps that we want to make on contact, the steps that we want to take after contact, and having great hand placement. There's a lot of different kinds of blocks, whether you're blocking the – a safety that's 12 yards off versus a, a press corner that we got to go get right now. But I think it's always a challenge that any receiver coach should, should really take advantage of to get your guys to just have that mindset and that attitude that this is a huge part of what we do and we're going to be great at it. And we're going to be extremely aggressive out there. And we know that we've got to take care of the blocking first before we start getting big numbers in the pass game. Good. So there's specific things you teach as far as your rules and, you know, looking at an installation process for, you know, especially as you begin, whether it be spring ball, fall camp, et cetera. We've kind of evolved over the years with our install. There's been some years where we, we just roll out the ball and install the entire offense. There's been some years where we kind of taper it down and do like a three or four day install. I think it all depends on how long you've been somewhere and, and what kind of experience you've got coming back on your team. But to be honest, we've kind of changed it every year. I think it's obviously important to, to start with your base stuff and, and whatever stuff you're calling on day one and day two, you want to make sure that you're calling that at a, at a high level in the fall. I think a lot of people run into the problem where they've got this day one install stuff. It's very basic, simple stuff. And you, you feel like you've just got to put it in and run it because that's what, that's what we've always done. That's always been our day one install. And then you get to the season and you're calling it at a very low percentage. So I think it's just really important to whatever your offense is, whatever your base is, that's who you are and that's what you got to stick with. And that carries through the entire fall. I think getting really good at 
whether you're a power team or a zone team or an option team or a vertical team or, you know, whatever you do in the pass game, I think it's really important to stick with who you are and, and get really good at it and make sure you're still calling those day one things in the fall. And, you know, our last question then comes to us from Scoop Reed. He's, he's actually been doing a great job of asking questions here to all our guests. So thank you, Scoop. And his was, how do you develop your backup players during the season? That's a great question. I, You know, this sounds really simple, but just getting those guys reps. I mean, that's the main thing is they've got to get reps in practice. You know, hopefully you're getting into games where – you can get a lead and get some of those guys in games and get them actual game experience. That is by far the best way to back up players better is to actually get them in the game and have them experience, you know, what it's like to go out there in our case, you know, play division one football in front of big crowds and on TV and just getting used to the mental aspect of it. But as far as practice, I mean, we, we try to get those guys a ton of reps, especially in spring ball, especially in fall camp. I think we do a really good job as a coaching staff, coaching those guys just as hard as we would our starters. I think anytime you've got individual time in practice, working your individual drills, coaching everybody the exact same, getting everybody the exact same reps. And I think, I think that's where as a position coach, you can really get your backup guys much better as, as during that individual time. And then off the field, I think just, again, just always valuing, those guys, you know, whether it's watching extra tape or spending extra time with those guys, I think just, I think it's just from an effort standpoint as a coach to always coach those guys as hard as you possibly can. Cause there is going to come a time when you need those guys. I mean, there may be, there's going to be a time when you need your third or fourth guy. So it's just really always important to coach the heck out of those guys. And that's one thing that I learned from coach Bayers that he was really good at is, you know, if, if one of fourth string walk-ons was screwing up in practice and we're in there watching tape, he'd be on us, you know? And so you've always got to coach everybody like they're going to play in the game. And I think you've just got to approach that. I think you've got to approach it that way year round. Yeah. I think it's one of those things too. And, you know, I, I learned, I can't even remember who I learned it from, but you know, film review, right. When we're watching game tape or even practice tape, we get so focused on those first team guys and, you know, there's a lot of guys who show up to your room whose job is to only sit there is you want to keep them engaged, right? You you want to make sure there's no, there's nothing wrong with something comes up on film, either right or wrong. Make sure you ask those guys who maybe are the second or the third, you know, about what they see on that play or what could be better or, or what do you think of this technique and, you know, see where they're at. I mean, make sure they're staying engaged and, you know, because their, their opportunity is one or two snaps away. They They could be in there. Yeah, I totally agree. That was another big thing with Coach Babers is having really open dialogue meetings. So anytime we're meeting with our guys, as coaches, we want to constantly be asking questions because, one, it keeps them engaged. Two, you find out what they know. And I, I think it just keeps everybody engaged in the meeting and they have to be awake and have to be in tune with what's going on because you never know when you're going to get called on. And, you know, the, the best way to learn is to be actually to, – to actually be able to talk about what's going on in the meeting. And so we always want our guys to, to feel like they can speak up in meetings. We always want them to answer questions, obviously, and be very vocal in those meetings. Coach, last question is 
looking at all the things you do and you shared some great things with us here today, but what's the one thing that really gives your players, your unit, the winning edge? Well, we talked a lot about it as far as coaching the wide receivers. You know, I, I think like we talked about earlier with the penalties, hand placement, how we're working our feet, um, having the attitude to block when we're talking about receiver blocking. I think all those things are just so huge. Just, Again, referencing back to Coach Babers, he's he's an excellent, excellent wide receiver coach. He's an, he's elite at at wide receiver techniques, and I learned a lot from him on how to coach those guys. And I think it's just just the details, just the little things, coaching from the feet up, getting off press release. You know, receiver play comes down to getting open, catching the football, and blocking. And if you boil it down to those three things, all right, now how do we get those three things done? And so as far as to answer your question, the, the edge is just all the fundamentals and techniques and getting those guys to buy into it and believing it. And when, when you've got veteran players that become juniors or seniors and they can go out and pretty much be a wide receiver coach out of practice, I think that's when, when you know that uh, you've accomplished some things as a coach. Coach, for our audience out there, our high school coaches, what areas of the country do you recruit? I recruit Cincinnati, Ohio, which is, which is really big for us. We put a, Huge emphasis, obviously, on recruiting the state of Ohio at Kent State. So I've got Cincinnati. I've got Indianapolis, Indiana. And I just picked up Canada. So I'm excited to go up north and, and know they got some talent up there. we got two Canadians on our football team right now. So we want to keep that thing going. I think you can really find some diamonds in the rough up there. So those are my three areas right now. I'll spend a lot of time going to look at quarterbacks. I'll spend a lot of time going to see our top offensive guys. So I travel a lot all over the place, but those are my three primary areas. And the best way for guys to get in touch with you? Yeah, Twitter is definitely the best. I'm on Twitter a lot. My handle is Coach Andy Souter, S-O-W-D-E-R. So that's the best way to get in contact with me. My email is asouter at kent.edu, which is another good way. So, yeah, those are the best ways to reach out. Coach, I appreciate you taking time and, you know, enjoy this time off, get better professionally, and we'll, we'll be looking for you here back in Northeast Ohio soon. Yeah, thank you. I, th- I think it's a great opportunity. Obviously, it, it sucks being away from the game and from our players right now, but I think it's a great opportunity to improve and, and get better. And there's just so many resources out there. That's one of the the great things about this being 2020 is there's just there's a ton of stuff on YouTube, you know, podcasts articles all kinds of stuff that that we can get better on and i'm looking forward to listening to all these episodes of your podcast you got you got a heck of a lineup going on this week so excited about that well again coach thanks and uh, we'll have to have you back here again sometime in the future all right appreciate it keith have a good one if you're enjoying the podcast please have it over to itunes or your platform and give us a five-star rate if you have a minute write a review we really appreciate it and we will read your review on our highlight show that we do at the end of the week.